This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. I'm Johnny Hart. Time to look back on the week's business news with Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham. Good afternoon, Craig. Good afternoon. One of the stories that caught my eye over the last few days was our borrowing. UK now borrowing at a negative interest rate. But is that for the first time? It's the first time we've borrowed at a negative interest rate uh, for a longer term bond. So we have borrowed on a one month bill uh, at a negative interest rate before. But we haven't borrowed on a three year uh, gilt, which is what we did earlier on this week. And it just shows that there's a lot happening right now. It shows that there's enormous demand for perceived uh, safe havens or perceived safe instruments. And the UK guilt is certainly among those. It shows that people are factoring in a lot more easing from the central bank. There's been a lot of speculation that interest rates are going to go negative from 0.1% where they are now. There's been a lot of speculation that we're going to see more bond buying, even though we've only just seen an increase of £200 billion only a couple of months ago. I think we're probably going to see more of the latter, but whichever it is that the Bank of England goes for, that is going to weigh on interest rates. That is the point of it all, after all, which means that the UK government at a time when it is borrowing vast amounts of money and far more money than it's borrowed before, it means that they do have the luxury of being able to do so effectively for free because people are effectively paying them a very tiny margin to give them their money. Just in case anybody isn't quite clear on how this works, the negative yielding bond means that the UK government is effectively being paid to borrow. Is that right? Yeah, effectively. And it's all based upon the fact that there's a number of reasons why investors will still invest uh, at a negative yield. I think one of the primary reasons is the fact that they believe that the yield's going to go even more negative. Yields move inversely to price. So if you think the yield is going to fall further because either the bank cuts interest rates more or uh, engages in more quantitative easing, which means you've got this massive bond buyer there in the open market who's committed to buying more and more debt uh, regardless of what level it's at if if you think the yield is therefore going to continue to go lower further into negative territory then that means the price of the bonds that you are holding while offering a negative yield are going to go higher and if you believe that that's the case then you may buy this bond even if it holds a negative yield to maturity because you're not planning on holding it to maturity you're planning on selling it for a capital gain at some point further down the road so i think that's part of the mentality behind these moves right now and you could say that it's not healthy for a market and i'm sure there is certainly an argument there but these are extraordinary times and extraordinary times come for call for extraordinary measures and we've already seen that other countries are already in that little particular club including japan and germany uh, and we are now uh, joining the party that of course has a big impact on government debt i mean are we somewhere near a hundred percent now in terms of government debt yeah we are which is quite extraordinary when you consider um the levels that we were at close to 80 percent before and we were talking about them being far too high and now we're close to 100 percent. but like i say these are pretty remarkable times the government is being hit with a triple whammy of lower tax receipts be that vat or income tax etc they're also being hit by obviously greater expenditure the furlough scheme is extremely expensive but extremely necessary 
Uh, and then finally, uh, on top of that, you have the fact that the economy is shrinking and debt's always measured as a percentage of GDP, the economy. So if the economy is shrinking, then all of a sudden what debt you had before is now higher uh, as a percentage of the size of that economy. So when you have those three things happening, it's no surprise to see that your overall debt is surging. Uh, and we are seeing that around the globe. And we're going to see a lot more of that uh, over the uh, over the months to come because this is going to be an extremely expensive period. And the data that came out today, borrowing up 61.4 billion, retail dropping 18%. Not a big surprise there. Uh, Your comments on the borrowing figures, though? The markets are given a relative free pass at the moment. We've seen, obviously, that there's still extraordinary demand for the debt that's being issued by the government because it's being matched uh, by the central bank buying more. You could say that this is obviously central bank financing, uh, and you could probably make a strong case that we're seeing that around the world at this point because we are seeing governments borrowing a lot more at a time when central banks are buying up more bonds. But it's just a necessity at the moment because if interest rates were much higher, if the central bank wasn't buying up all of these extra bonds, then interest rates around the world would be spiking and that would just only add to the risk that we're seeing in the global economy. But we've seen then borrowing number this morning. It was far higher than people were expecting. And there's kind of a collective shrug of the shoulders like, yeah, we, we put this kind of forecast, we put this prediction down, but we kind of penciled it in because we don't really know exactly what is going on right now and how severe it is. And it is more than likely a very severe temporary shock to the economy that is going to revert, uh, have repercussions, but not to the severity that uh, we are seeing currently. And we saw the same with the retail sales as well. 18.1% contraction. It could have been a lot worse. You can imagine we've just seen a, a complete shutdown of the uh, of the UK economy. It could be a lot worse. Uh, but again, I think uh, people are given a bit of a free pass to it because I think what's far more interesting is going to be what the numbers look like in three months' time when the economy is starting to get back up to speed again and we start to see what the longer-term impacts are going to be. We also had the uh, UK jobs data earlier on this week. Unemployment um, for um, March was 3.9%, but then the jobless data, the claimant count change for April was 856,000. That's up from 5,000 the month before. So this is some quite remarkable numbers. The next couple of months are going to be really interesting because we're already hearing about mass redundancies and that's where it's going to start to take a longer term toll and we'll start to learn a lot more about how long term uh, the impact of this is going to be. I mean, with these figures, Craig, I mean, they're all very well for economic historians. This uh, borrowing figure of 61.4 billion, it's the highest ever monthly figure. And you mentioned unemployment as well, uh, those retail numbers. Are they really that relevant, though, in terms of what the number is? Because we are expecting this. This is part of the unfortunate situation we are in, unless, of course, they are much deeper and wider than markets expect. And as you said, borrowing is up more than people thought. I think your point's accurate, to be quite honest. Until you know what the longer term um, reality of this situation is, then these numbers are nothing more than what's going to look like a glitch on the graph for years to come that we're going to refer back to as the kind of great shock of, uh, of 2020. We hope it's a glitch, of course. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't per- personally think that we're he- heading for depression at this point. I think what governments have done around the world to try and uh, stop that from happening is going to uh, be relatively effective. It's not going to shield the economy entirely. There is going to be industries, there's going to be businesses which 
are going to have um, a lot more pain to come because things aren't just going to return back to normal and that means there are going to be mass redundancies in areas. We're seeing that a lot, for example, in the aviation industry and all of those associated to it, all those associated within the supply chains of the aviation industry. We're likely to see that in the, the pub and restaurant uh, industry as well and many, many others as well where people's lifestyles are going to change at least for the near future until they feel safe returning their life completely to normal and even then behaviours may change. Uh, so what is a, an opportunity for some is going to be pretty devastating for others. So I do think there is going to be a longer term impact but you can't read too much into these figures because I don't think these are any more accurate than the March readings were for example. Indeed and we had some uh, eye-watering unemployment figures in the United States as well. 38.6 million people now out of work. That's almost a quarter of the workforce. Of course, tragedy for all the individuals involved. But as we keep saying, this is not really very surprising. Not good for the Trump administration with the election just six months away. No, I mean, we have to remember again that the support scheme works slightly differently than ours. So it's showing up a lot more in the in in the data which we are already seeing. So a lot of people uh, applying for jobless benefits, even though they know that they are going back to a job as soon as their company reopens. So it, 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 again, it's kind of a misleading number. It's more of a, an indication as to how much the government is having to support in this time rather than uh, a more prolonged um, insight into where the American economy is heading. That doesn't mean that the next six months is going to be easy and that doesn't mean that all of these people are going back to work. Of course, that isn't true. Now Trump has a very real serious situation on his hand. He's got an election in six months' time. The economy has gone from roaring, uh, a roaring success of an economy with extremely low unemployment. And in six months' time, he's going to have very high levels of unemployment. There's going to be a death toll as a result of the coronavirus, which is close at this moment in time to 100,000 people. And it's going to be higher again by the time the election comes. Um, and that is a, a very difficult base to suddenly fight an election on, whereas only six months ago, it looked a foregone conclusion like that, like he was going to win. Now it's looking uh, like a far more troubling situation for the president. And it's no surprise that we are seeing him doubling down, tripling down on efforts to point the finger of blame at China for the spread of the coronavirus, for the pandemic. He's very much increasing hostilities between uh, the US and China because the last thing he needs is the finger of blame being pointed his way and for people to be paying too much attention to uh, to how the uh, Trump administration has responded to this. If he can squarely and firmly... Um, ensure that that people believe that this was China's mishandling of the pandemic, then he may potentially still get away with this and could still get re-elected. But that's a big ask and it's a big if. And also, when you consider how much the change that is from six months ago, it, it really is uh, it really is quite phenomenal. And I expect that we are going to see a lot more of these tensions now between the US and China for the next six months as a result. And that is a neat segue to China, Craig, because that has been in the news in the last 24 hours as well. Firstly, the US Senate passed a bill that could block some Chinese companies from selling shares on American stock exchanges. But more significantly, uh, we've seen this story coming out of Hong Kong today. China's national security agencies to set up operations directly in Hong Kong under proposed new subversion laws that critics say pose a threat to the territory's political and legal autonomy. 
And of course, there are going to be more protests in Hong Kong because of this. It's gone very quiet recently, mainly because of the coronavirus epidemic. Uh, but Hong Kong is the key in some respects, isn't it? Because it is the bridge between China and the rest of the world. Yeah, it almost kind of feels like a proxy war has been fought in Hong Kong. Uh, between the US, uh, between China and others. Uh, China very much trying to stamp its authority here. It's It was clearly unsatisfied with how the, de- the demonstrations went last year uh, and wants to reassert its authority. But it's obviously just going to lead to further protests. It really feels like we stepped back a year. Uh, a year ago, we were talking about the prospect of rising hostilities with the US and China, the prospect of a trade war and a recession as a result. We were talking about protests in Hong Kong and we were talking about no deal Brexit it feels like we're talking about all of those again except we now have the coronavirus to deal with as well it really has become quite an, it, the, the the way that things have evolved over the last few months as, as I keep saying they really have been quite extraordinary and it does seem that hostility now in Hong Kong is going to start to pick up and we are likely now to see more protests as a result of this and that's why the Hang Seng for example uh, on the final trading day of the week fell five and a half percent Okay, before we let you go, let's have a brief look ahead to next week. Of course, it's a shorter working week in the UK with a public holiday on Monday. But what are you looking out for? Yeah, it's also a bank holiday in the US as well. So the Monday really is going to be a nothing day. You would imagine famous last words, of course, uh, but you would think that Monday is going to be a bit of a nothing day. Uh, the and I believe also across parts of Asia as well. Actually, come to think of it, it may also be a bank holiday. Uh, so yeah, we look across the rest of the week, and it is it's a relatively quiet week. If I'm perfectly honest, we have things like US GDP on Thursday, um, but apart from that, it's really looking. Uh, pretty quiet i think um, there's going to be a lot of emphasis back on the coronavirus uh, next week i think that's obviously going to be a mainstay uh, of market direction at this moment in time uh, and again the us and china the, the latter part of this week is in particular it's really taken some of the sting out the markets and i think that's the the hostility is only going to be ramped up uh, as far as this is concerned and it could continue to take its toll markets have had a bad may they haven't sold off the old um, mantra goes sell in may and go away um uh, we haven't necessarily seen that but we've certainly seen the rally stall uh so far this month if us china trade tensions creep up uh, then we could see more of a repeat of what we've seen at times this week which is the markets getting a bit jittery a bit nervy uh and especially when you're talking about a scenario in which we are in the midst uh, of possibly the worst crisis of our lifetimes which is quite amazing when you consider that 10 years ago we thought that this was a once in a lifetime crisis so yeah uh, th- there's there's not too much on the data calendar to look forward to next week but i'm sure it's going to be action-packed as ever okay look forward to speaking to you next week but first let's have a nice long weekend eh absolutely okay Speak to you soon. <laughs> craig Allen, thanks very much indeed From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.